Good afternoon. It's Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. This is Andrew Decker. I'm joined by my co-host. You don't love him as much as you love me, but here's Andrew Harris. How are you, Andrew? Hey, well, I was doing fine, and now I just feel insulted on my own show. Well, you know, I'm just I'm just being honest. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess there we do have numbers to back that up. So, no, I don't know. I just made that up. Um, no, you're loved at least as much as I am. Yeah. I mean, you know, our reviews are things like, Andrew's a really great talker. Andrew's so handsome. Yeah. And today it's going to be more confusing because today we have three Andrews on the show. We've got another one joining us, right? Right. right? Uh, but the other one goes by Drew most of the time. Good. So yeah, it makes least, a little yeah, bit. Legally Andrew, so, you know. Right. Right. So there he is. There's the third Andrew. Uh, <laughs> Drew yeah. Willie. Drew Willie. And you know Drew with your work through... Uh, TCDLA through TCDLA, we we both are mentors with the uh, Indigent Defense uh, Committee. Um, we actually both attended trial college, we, the the oh, yeah. ever popular Tim Evans Trial College, which yep. we give a plug for here. We all, all in the, the same group at, at trial college. We were we were oh, okay. actually in the Good same deal. group. Um, yeah, I actually remember I remember you because your story on going into the work, I looked at you and I said, why would you leave being a pastor to do criminal defense? And because this is way more fun. This is way more fun. Um, and, and, it, and it's, I, I believe, just as much a calling, if, if not maybe more so. For sure. Oh, I, that, well, that was the loaded. That was the loaded portion of the question because that's what I believe. So. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. All right. So, so let's actually get to let's actually get to Drew, the third Andrew of this of this podcast. Yeah. Um. So, Drew, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into the law? Yeah. Uh. Totally unrelated to um, the mission I'm currently on, but I got a master's of accounting from UT and. Um, felt like a glorified bookkeeper in that role. And so I wanted to, I wanted them to let me be a glorified accountant. So I figured I needed a law degree to do that. So <laughs> went to go become a tax lawyer. <clears throat> okay. okay. So that's lawyer. quite a, a, a couple of episodes ago, we actually made fun of tax attorneys. So yeah. we're glad you're not that anymore. <laughs> so, so from tax law to, to now your, your, your current, what you called the, your mission, uh, restoring justice. T- tell us about that transition. Like what, what really stoked the fire for indigent defense? Yeah, I mean, I have, I guess the organization follows a lot of kind of a, I guess, redemptive path for lack of a better term um, that I maybe followed myself. It was, I mean, I didn't know anything about criminal defense other than some stupid mistakes in college and, and very easily, you know, having family connections and have a lawyer just get it taken care of very quickly. Um, and so I just didn't understand all of the, all of the depths of the problems. And I took a internship at the Texas Innocence Network at U of H just more out of curiosity. So I was, um, I did that full time the first summer. So I actually still had to make some money doing that. So in the mornings I was a accountant at an oil and gas firm. And then, uh, afternoons and nights I was doing death penalty casework, um, at the Innocence Network. and there was one client by the name of Marvin Lee Wilson who was executed at the end of the summer. Um, uh, my, the video of the full story is out there somewhere, I think on my website at least. Um, but it broke me to see what the system, what our system in America, I mean, you know, arguably 
close to before that time, I think, you know, you would have really stuck me to it. I was probably pro death penalty and um, seeing what our system did to a man who grew up in Beaumont with significant mental deficiencies, um, who was poor, who was black in rural Texas and what they did to him and how they silenced him. Um, his story truly never got told. And that to me, even in the work that I had done, the, um, the supervising attorneys believed that his mental health, mentally ill claim at the Supreme Court was, was too good to, um, to allow me to tell his true story in the clemency petition of the governor, um, really about his childhood and how he overcame obstacles and overcame his deficiencies to at least shield his kids from the life that he had known which was extremely hard and um, really no opportunity other than a life of crime. And um, seeing who he was and sitting across from him in Plunsky unit in death row and having him tell me the frustrations with that and say, my whole life, I've been trying to prove that I'm not mentally ill. And my whole life, all these lawyers have tried to do is prove that I am. Um, it just absolutely broke my heart because then on top of that, the Supreme Court then overruled and he didn't get relief and he was executed. And um, a few years later, they on the same issue, the Supreme Court overturned it and said Texas cannot define mentally ill. And so had Marvin lived a couple years longer, he they would never have been allowed to kill him. So wrongfully murdered on a number of, of levels. I also believe he was innocent of the crime. Um, but there was a moment at the end of that when he was actually being executed. I was at a Bible study and uh, Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 was read. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Um, that was my flip the switch moment. I was never going to do tax law after that exact moment. And I was forever going to commit myself to um, criminal defense for the poor. <laughs> okay, so, goosebumps. so uh, yeah, I literally Man. got goosebumps. Um, if nothing else gets said, uh, that alone is an incredible testimony of the work that you, I know you're doing and what I think we're going to talk about today. So, uh, yeah, incredible, man. What, well, and thank God you're not in tax law. Uh, you would, and I, and I don't mean that against tax lawyers. I mean that as, uh, the work that Drew is doing and with restoring justice is so important. We're going to hear more about it. And uh, that summer obviously put you on the right path to put you into what, what you really need to be doing. So thank you for, for sharing that. Um, so tell us a bit about, you know, that, that's kind of how you transitioned. Uh, and then several years ago, after you finished law school and after, we, I guess, maybe while or after the Tim Evans yeah. College, you started a group called Restoring Justice. Tell us what that is and how that got started. Yeah, it was just, you know, being on this path, Criminal defense for the poor. I mean, the calls were not slow. <laughs> um, yeah, although the bills paid for me were. And so um, it just reached a level to where enough people called and would tell me these horrifying, right? Because I got trained by Tim Evans. I got trained by Gideon's Promise. I knew what, I mean, the Constitution required, but further than that, what the kind of gold standard of criminal defense was. And I would just hear story after story of these horrifying court-appointed attorneys not visiting their clients for six, nine months at a time, 
um, not doing any investigation, ignoring the client's stories, right? The same thing for Marvin, like stories just not being told um, and just really the lowest, I mean, it's not even low quality representation. It's no representation, right? It's, it's a warm body policy at best. Um, yeah. Literally, literally this morning I was in on an, on a motion to revoke, went and saw a guy and I said, Hey, look, I've, I've only got about 15 minutes. And he said, no, that's fine. He said, but when I took my first plea, my attorney never came to see me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you yeah. go, Dude, when 15 minutes and I feel like I'm shortchanging him because I'm in a rush and he's thanking me because someone else never came. I mean, that was where, you know, to your question of like starting restoring justice, that was where like, okay, like one thing in communicating to funders is like, this is a difference between good quality and no represent, not marginal difference of of quality of representation. Plus I felt so foolhardy enough that like, you know, no experience. Well, I can certainly do better than the guy who's not showing. Up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can um, do better than nothing. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a low bar. Yeah. To step over. Right. Yeah. And so I got enough of those calls and realized that I couldn't sustain myself um, and do enough pro bono work on the side to, to handle the, what I thought was, you know, a few, a few cases being falling through the cracks. Um, and so when I started the nonprofit, I really just thought it would be a great place to bring my spirituality and my reasons for entering this work, um, to some clients, a few clients who really needed it. Um, and so once I realized, you know, God put on my heart that it needed to be a full blown nonprofit, the tax background and, and contact with the IRS made me foolhardy enough to do it without any cash, <laughs> no, no upfront investment. But um, I intentionally called my family and friends together to, to LT and Bill Cantina where, you know, the best things are always made. Uh, <laughs> I love that place. I, I grew up in Houston and El Tiempo is uh, primo Mexican food. The tops. No other chicken fajita like it, but, nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so uh, called them together and said, I'm going to start this nonprofit. And um, I did it on MLK Day um, in 2016 on purpose. And um, knowing how much he uh, signified, you know, the MLK that, that people don't talk about as much, the MLK that called out white complacent pastors, the MLK that was one of the greatest Christian writers. You know, he's not just a social justice movement kind of head he's he's got so much more depth to that and um yeah he just he feeded our mission a lot and so that's why we did it on that day that's awesome that's awesome so what does restoring justice do i mean i i've looked at the website i've talked to you a little bit i've heard from your uh so some of your staff but tell the audience what what do you what are some of the programs you do yeah, I mean, the core function is replacing those non-existent court-appointed attorneys um, with really holistic client-centered representation. So taking taking those that are that the system has given no voice whatsoever and giving them that gold standard of representation, ensuring that their rights are protected as much as you know Rusty Hardin's clients' rights are protected. Um, and so, um, what we do is we identify the most overloaded attorneys, which is a pretty safe bet. Um, if they have, you know, five or six times the recommended 
caseload that they're probably letting some people fall through the cracks in jail. And so we use that to identify the folks that are in jail um, and we represent them um, and give them a social worker and connect them with a volunteer from the community. We like to be the answer to everyone's question of what can I do tomorrow to reform the system? Well, you can volunteer with us and go meet a client and be a part of, of freeing them um, and giving them a voice. And um, so that's what we do, uh, core services. Um, another side project that's taken a ton of time this summer given COVID is a community bail fund. Um, there's a lot of folks that are talking about bailing people out, but you know, um, there was only one group that was <laughs> had the $20,000 of cash in a bag standing at the bail window at the start of the COVID crisis when Harris County was the hotbed and trying to just desperately get out individual people that we could. Um, we've continued and it's been a little bit of a struggle, um, you know, dealing with some bureaucratic systems, but um, that's kind of our main side project we're working on right now. Okay, so so yeah, so I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna pick up both those pieces. I'm gonna start with the Bell Project first. Uh, so back when when COVID and the and the protests, the Black Lives Matter protests started, uh, it's my understanding that restoring justice in your community bail service actually was trending on Twitter. Oh yeah. Um, so we had set up, we'd gotten a partnership with the Bail Project, the national group for COVID. Um, I mean, it was an emergency, all hands on deck. Every person with any influence in Harris County was worried about how to get this release, you know, except for the governor. Um, and, <laughs> and um, yeah, and so that was set up and then the protest happened. And uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, we were uplifted by the community, to say the least. <laughs> and and I, I don't know if you if you want the re, the the difference, but my understanding is is that you've actually uh, your little you said a twenty thousand dollar bag that has grown significantly through through donations over the last couple of months, right? Yeah, I mean to have spent five years doing the hard work and banging my head against how to do it right and how to be community based and how to be a voice for the people um, and my expectations of what would change our organization, which was my expectations was I was going to find the, the, you know, rich white old guy that has a ton of money who would write me a big check because he cared about it enough um, to have oppositely been uplifted by the community and saying, we care enough about everyone's freedom. Y'all are the ones standing there at the bill window, go do it some more. Um, right. right that was that was pretty great and and you know the moment that uh rock nations reps called us and said you know we have an artist that wants to donate and megan the stallion 48 hours later has <laughs> donated ten thousand to our bail fund that was that was a pretty cool turning point <laughs> oh that is cool yeah that's that's again very awesome you know things that that uh Change, change the way things happen. And obviously, you know, having someone like, like Megan the Stallion give you $10,000 is important, but it's also important, you know, any nonprofit knows that the, the hundred people that come in with a $20 bill makes a huge difference to the life of a nonprofit. Um, you know, and so, oh yeah, uh, you know, that, that's one of those pieces where uh, I'm on a nonprofit up here and we've asked people to just give 50 bucks. Well, when 500 people give you 50 bucks, you've got a whole bunch of money 
Um, yeah. You know, and so it, it all it takes all of it to to make a nonprofit go. And Drew, you're you're practicing solely in Harris County, or just pri- or Harris County surrounding areas, or what? Yeah, no, that's a good question because restoring justice, we've we've we're solely in Harris County and currently solely doing felonies. Um, oh, okay. Because the misdemeanor system has been is rapidly changing, and the bail reform lawsuit and all the byproducts of that, and the managed sign council program are going to fix that system. But um, but people do get confused because a lot of my private practice work uh, got some notoriety outside and surrounding areas, so Galveston and. Fort Bend. So I used to practice outside uh, in some other counties and restoring justice most likely will expand. We're just going to, we're going to make sure Harris County is done right. I keep saying if we can fix Harris County, we can fix anywhere. So (laughs) do you have any, like, is there been any pushback from the Harris County public defender's office or support or. Oh, huge support. I mean, the the public defender's office is an amazing office here in Harris County. Um, you know, as far as how it was set up, Dallas County was set up before the Texas fair defense act. And so I know they, they're one of the kind of worst offenders of caseloads, you know, probably not at their fault, probably how the system is set up, but, um, they don't have case limits. The Harris County does have case limits, um, allowing their attorneys to do really great work. They have really great training. They've got a holistic model, a client-centered model. Um, the problem is when it's set up well and you've got numbers like Harris County, well, on a good day, even with rapid growth in a commissioner's court that wants to fund them faster than anything else in the county, um, they're only handling 10% of appointed cases. Right. Yeah. Um, there was a couple months ago during COVID that the, the felony judges only appointed the public defender's office to 3% of the felony cases. So most people are trapped in that court appointed system. So, okay. Um, so, so as someone, so, so just so you know, got to be fair, Andrew and I both take court appointments uh, because there are not public defender's offices in the counties that we work in primarily. So, so, you know, they're not, they're not trapped. They're not trapped with, with court appointments. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My, yeah, yeah, no, my, <laughs> there's not one. I think like Drew, what you were saying is there's not one standard of like, this is what you should be aspiring to, or this is the expectation that you should be setting. I mean, there's some, there's some guidelines from the court. Like you need to be, you know, contacting your client within however many days of this appointment, et cetera. But, but really it's just kind of like a, a crapshoot as to what attorney that, client gets and the level of representation they're going to get. Oh yeah. I mean, it's the only government contract with zero oversight. I mean, it's, there's, and, and so my distinction, right. was like those trapped, not every court appointed attorney client is trapped. Yeah. I was giving you a hard time, but the, the point being is that there are some persons that get appointed to an attorney. They can't afford an attorney. And, let's say that it's a decent attorney and they just have a conflict, right? They, they don't get along and, and we all have con- clients we don't get along with, but they're like, I'd like to go to somebody else. And the court goes, is there an ethical reason? Is there, you know, and so they're stuck yeah. maybe with a decent attorney who's trying to help them, but they really don't, their personalities, right? You know, it could be a personality issue. But then you get somebody who's burned out and tired and truly there's no, there's nothing in the, in the, in the pot anymore to, to feed a passion, to take care of a client. Um, well, yeah. it's funny you say that. Cause even like 
because yes, I mean, my training, my mentorship all kind of flows from the public defender's office. That's how well we like work together with them. And so when I was walking through the plans with a couple of the attorneys over there, one of the trial leads was talking to me and I, I told him about the mission. And, and I was like, I mean, we're obviously not going to ever take clients from the public defender's office because like those clients are are well taken care of and he was like well hold on now <laughs> he was like personalities are are real you know you might want to take some cases away from us and i was like okay yeah you're like you can't pick which ones you're sending to us big man <laughs> that's right yeah right so so yeah harris county the public defender's office in, in harris county is uh I, I don't have personal information from them minus uh, that they are the group that that basically runs and coordinates with uh, Gideon's Promise and uh, TCDLA, the Future Indigent Defense uh, Lawyers, the, or, or as we call it, FIDL, which uh, Drew and I are both mentors in. Um, uh, and and uh, their office is so passionate about making sure that there is good indigent defense across the state that they, they actually help put together a statewide statewide program for persons who want to do indigent defense um, uh, in coordination with uh, TCDLA, which we shout out all the time. And I'm I'm happy to hear, not that I was like insinuating that they wouldn't be supportive, but I'm happy to hear that they're supportive. You just never know when like, you know, group conflict or politics or whatever. Um, Well, that is one thing that I do kind of always want to make clear is because like what we're doing, right, is essentially a privatized public defender's office. And so I do get kind of that blowback from lawyers of like, well, are you anti- public defender's office and like you're about private and I'm like, no, 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 no. Listen, the answer is holistic client center public defender's offices. I just have zero faith that, that, that most indigent defense is going to be provided that way anytime soon. So I am just going to like rush with private dollars and catch the people that are falling through the cracks and be an example until the system can catch up. Right. So, so one of the things I want, I want to circle back on is you said that you provide your client or maybe their, their family with a social worker. Did I hear that correctly? Yep. We've got a, um, Olivia is our full-time social worker right now. And and she's even got, um, a client advocate. We've got a full-time client advocate on staff who helps with kind of street level resource connections, like getting people in the door of the shelters and that kind of stuff. And, and and honestly, you know, again, I've 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 checked out your website. I see that you have like eight staff, including a, sta- a staff attorney. And you're trying to hire another staff attorney. But when I saw things like social worker and client advocate, um, I thought that is something because because I know on many of my appointed clients, they need as much as anything else a social worker to help them get into drug rehab. Uh, uh, money management. Um, and, and here's my learning process, learning curve with that, right? Because I didn't know the field of social work, um, but like assessment, right? I mean, we can assess and we can hear facts and we know exactly what to do with, with a case. Um, social workers can go in and, and, and talk and assess and say, hey, this charge may be flagging, you know, uh, theft or something, poor issues but like in reality it's a drug addiction right and here's the signals and here's why and you know here's the best place for them and really come up with individualized um plans for uh, can, can you imagine I, if every at least felony uh client who is indigent received an attorney and a social worker andrew i mean i wonder what that would just do with like recidivism rates 
you know i, I mean it sounds incredible I, I mean it's exactly what a lot of our clients need they need help more help than just what we can provide them in a well and sometimes, and sometimes it's what i need i need to know oh, yeah yeah true i mean that could you affect know, like a whole case strategy right well and look i mean y'all know how many paid clients do you walk in and say look prosecutor here's mom and dad they're gonna send them to rehab they've got all the money they're gonna pay them they're gonna take care of them they're gonna set them up in california the best rehab place surely you're going to give probation that has no condition other than having them go there. Of course, you know, prosecutors always going to give you that deal. And so you start talking about inequity to the poor. Um, I mean, that's it (laughs) right there. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I had a, had a kid that had three DWIs in 90 days in the same court. Um, and we got him into rehab here in Texas uh, got court dates pushed off while he was going through rehab and the county attorney in that county said, I wanted 90 days as a condition on, you know, one of them would be that and he'd have, you know, and he goes, he, you done such a good job with getting him through rehab and him showing that he's sober and then now working. He goes, I'm not going to ask for rehab and I'm going to dismiss one of the cases. The one that we all know is the weakest. He goes, I'll still have two. And I, it, it, but it's exactly something that nobody that doesn't have resources yeah. could have done. And, and I guess I just want to make clear with that because you're right. And the thing is, is like, that is the right answer. What you were able to do for that client is what should happen for everybody. So this isn't like a, the rich are being treated too well kind of issue. It's just like the poor aren't being treated well enough. Like let's change yeah. our justice system to uplift so that everybody can get treated like someone with means, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's sometimes we forget that uh, bringing justice to the poor is not that we bring down the rich, but we bring the, yeah. we, we bring the low, lift we lift them, lift them up. Right. Um, wow. Yeah. Just like I don't idea. think, I don't think your client like got away with something because they're rich. Right. It's like, right. no, no, he, he, just, still, no the system just worked. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's like often, I think we put it in terms of like, it's, you know, this is the rules of the game. And I, I just love that you're putting an, an organization together and you and your team over there are just allowing your clients to play the same game. Yeah. At least have yeah. a chance, at, at least, least have, have a chance. chance to come to the game. Yeah. I can't even tell you, like there was a moment um, where I walked out of court with three clients and the judge just, a really kind of hard judge who was real skeptical still is, but like these three clients, you know, her response to them, I walked out of that day and I go, Oh my God, my poor black clients are getting treated like my rich white clients. And isn't that the point of the mission? (laughs) Come on. (laughs) And, 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 um, it's one of those things where, I think maybe you and lots of defense attorneys, uh, we, we see the inequities and when you try to explain it to the average person on the street, words cannot comp- cannot overcome the, 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 the lack of, of understanding. It's not even a knowledge piece. It's, it's a, it's an understanding piece. So, uh, again, yeah. good. God, man, you just, just the social worker thing. I'm just, 
I'm stuck yeah, on it. I great. like it. I like it. I'm going, how do we figure that out? Why, why did you think about including that into your organization? You know, I mean, we're big on bringing national best practices. Um, and so that just took a lot of work. And there was a group in the Lawndale community in Chicago called the Lawndale Christian Legal Center, and they had social workers. So that was my first time of realizing, oh, I got to learn what social work is. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, that's great. No. So, okay. So you took like different offices, uh, you know, standards and protocols from across the nation just to be like a best in class, uh, you know, legal provider. Subscribe to, yeah. I mean, the client advocate edition, there's a group in Tulsa called Still She Rises. That was an offshoot of Bronx Defenders. And so they're really operating in the South. So they're a lot closer to home. And they're um, really, they're like our most uh, admirable model that we're trying to implement down here. And they use client advocates. Um, so yeah, we're constantly figuring out what's working best across the country and trying to implement. So you're, you're growing, you're hiring at least one associate position, associate attorney position. Is that right? At least two. At least two. Okay. Cause you so, have one. We have a, we have a chief defender. She's great. So that whole national best practices that's <laughs> across the board, we did a national search and she came to us from the federal defenders of San Diego, eight years experience there and was did a few wow. years of corporate law before that. So yeah, I met her in passing. She's amazing. Maybe, maybe we yeah. should have her on the show i actually thought that before i asked you i was like we need to have her she's uh remind me of her name i, I i'm sorry it slipped in my mind it's amrutha jindal um amrutha, yeah, yeah y'all definitely should have her on she's she's usually the better person to talk as to. long as her <laughs> boss will cut her for an hour so that she can actually well, do something fun i just couldn't resist the andrew andrew and andrew so I'm yeah <laughs> so the um where do you see like what what is the plan for restoring justice to continue to grow yeah, so that was a good question. I mean, even like I said, with with us not wanting to replace the system, just kind of like uh, exemplify, catch people going through the cracks and, and get the system to change. I mean, we're obviously looking towards like long term. OK, well, what if felony court appointments did fix itself and do it right? Um, and and how much do we pour into that? Right. Like if we take a, a huge chunk of the load off the system, the system will never be able to recover itself right like without us like yeah. we don't want the system to be dependent on us so and even as we engage in harris county we've got to stay small enough so i'm not really sure you know beyond these two or three new staff attorneys hires we really want to get much bigger in harris county so yeah we start looking to expand to um outside of houston with probably the next class of attorneys um if we continue to grow um probably you know, people keep asking to go into New Orleans. I said, that's a really long term. That's <laughs> yeah, it's one, it's one thing to grow from one county to a next. It's another thing to go state to state. And especially if you go from Texas law to Louisiana law, which we all know is, well, like speaking French, but I'm bumped. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, I think we'll stay, we'll keep popping into different counties. And, you know, TIDC has great um, plans and funding for, mid-size and rural county public defender's offices. And so, you know, as much as we can be a part of moving um, all counties across Texas to a public defender's office, I'll tell you my long-term dream is to, you know, have a statewide holistic client-centered public defender's office. So, Yeah. And, you know, again, going back to Harris County, if you said that 90% of the cases are actually handled by attorneys by appointment, because I know that in, in 
places like Tarrant County, their fear is that if their public defender's office comes in, that there's going to be a slew of attorneys who are suddenly out of work. Well, those cases aren't all going away. There's still going to be a need for lots and lots of of attorneys doing lots of good work outside of a public defender's office. Every attorney in Harris County that opposed the public defender's office has done a 180. Every single one now loves having the public defender's office. They love the resources. Their bottom line doesn't hurt. And this is the biggest thing to, to all the court appointed attorneys across the state. My thing is it's not less, it's not less money. Like we just want you to work less cases more. Like we'd actually want you to get paid more money for doing good work. Um, and you would be able to do that if you had a holistic public defender's office um, alongside you, because I mean, the federal system is conflict cases, right? I mean, like, I promise you, no court appointed attorney's bottom line will be hurt (laughs) by improving indigent defense services. (laughs) Right, right. But they think it will, but they think it will. So it's a tough political landscape. All right, so so Drew, I'm sure you have an opinion on this. If there were one, and and I'm gonna try to hold you this, if there were one aspect of the law that you could change, especially in the process of indigent defense, what would it be? Easy, man. Caseloads. Just just make the caseload recommendation a standard. Um, make it make it to where attorneys are forced to limit how many cases they take, so that they have the time to do adequate work on ev- for every single person that they represent. Because that's the oath we take as lawyers when we. Uh, are entered entering the bar and so let's just have the system fixed so that they're able to do that so um, so let me let me ask quite i'm going to do it give you a follow-up right so mm-hmm. if, you, if you're on the wheel uh or you're working in, in you know because because the wheel your, your name just comes around and the judge goes you're next um there are counties that just don't have enough attorneys to to spread the caseload thin enough to hit that recommendation number so so what is the recommendation number? Yeah, I mean, TIDC did a whole report on average. You know, if you're doing felonies, uh, it's like 120 cases. Um, so, I mean, and they structure it all. There's a whole, I mean, that report drives every single. Uh, we'll have to get a copy of that report. Procedure that we have. But uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's good. And um, But I mean, I'll say like TIDC does the data collection. And so I really think that the fear about there aren't enough uh, attorneys to go around. I think you that would find that to be uh, much more rare, uh, like Harris County, for example, with more cases than anywhere else. Like if you actually looked at the attorneys on the list and it got spread around evenly, every attorney would be able to be under that um, recommendation. Yeah. All right. Cool. Gotcha. Okay. So, so to, to end us, Truly, so far, this has all been great. I've gotten goosebumps a couple of times. Yeah. I'm got a little little fire in my belly that maybe two hours ago when Andrew first walked him off, I didn't have. So, <laughs> so thank you for that, Drew. If not for nothing else, um, but but to end on a little bit lighter note, we're going to ask a few fun questions. In, uh, why don't you why don't you go ahead? Uh, so the first one, you know, just a, a little get to know you question that we ask all of our guests. What's your favorite band or musical artist? Yeah, I mean, the one right now, uh, maybe for obvious reasons, but Childish Gambino is just like too fun for me. And and my two-year-old Jonah, uh, we danced to This Is America a lot. So, <laughs> so yeah, much. Just, 
justice feeds through even on my music's choices. So. <laughs> right. So, so my 22 year old got to see him at uh, Austin city limits live last year. He loved it. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. I know. Well, um, yeah. All right. So favorite book or one that you would recommend the audience read? So we actually have three book requirements for anyone working or on the board for restoring justice. And so Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. And then one a little bit less known is um, Rethinking Incarceration by Dominique Gilliard, which is really written as a follow-up to Just Mercy and New Jim Crow, talking about how the church is really failing to address the needs of indigent defense um, and how they should further it. So, okay. So slow, a little slower. We have just mercy, mm-hmm. the book, not just the movie. That's right. The new Jim Crow. And then what was the third one? It's called rethinking incarceration by Dominique Gilliard. We're going to add right. those to our show notes for our listeners. Um, so they can have access to that and, and search for that. I'm going to order those for Mr. Harith to read. I'm going to order them on Amazon. I I'll read them. Just Mercy. So save some money and give me the last two. Uh, why don't you save some money and actually give me a copy like some other <laughs> books you didn't do. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Drew. You're, you're, you're getting in our personal fights now. All right. So, <laughs> so best piece of advice. It could be professional or personal that you've been given. Yeah, um, I appreciate that one. And I, I sent you a text saying, who's the audience? And, and so to, to the lawyers and law students who might be listening, <laughs> uh, my biggest thing, uh, one of our core values, the one I love the most is fearless love. And that fearlessness to me is so important as an attorney. Um, don't let, don't do things just because a boss told you to. You've got your own requirements, your own moral code, your own ethics code. Um, if do things that is the right thing to do, and don't let fear hold you back. I mean, the number of times that I have like prayed and been like, seriously, I've got to stretch myself and take this extra risk. Um, well, you really can change the world and it just takes eliminating fear. So Beautiful. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and obviously if someone wants to find you, they, they can simply go to the restoringjustice.org website, um, learn more about your organization. Uh, I'm a, is there a way for them to donate if they, if they get there, they can, yep, there's a donate button at the top of the page, um, to help drew out in this, what I, I, I honestly to believe. What was that web address? It is restoringjustice.org. Restoringjustice.org. Um, we'll also uh, include that on the show notes. Yeah, true. yeah. And I'm, I'm, well, I'm going to say I've been blessed by having Drew on the show today. Um, I love it, man. Thank you right. for spending, uh, spending this time with us. Um, it's really inspiring, I think, to, to, talk with, um, to talk with people, and you in particular, who are just so passionate about what they do. It just creates a fire uh, in me, you know, sometimes by if this job, like can, can kind of drag you down sometimes and just oh, yeah. listening to somebody, you know, with, with passion, it's just very inspiring. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So again, uh, this brings us to the end of uh, another episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas criminal defense. I guess today it was kind of Andrew and Andrew and Andrew on Texas criminal defense. Yeah. Um, uh, you can find us of course on Apple podcast on Google play. You can find us, uh, also on the web at texascrimdefense.com on Facebook. You can find us at Andrew and Andrew on Texas criminal defense on Facebook. Uh, follow us, like us, 
you can contact the show if you have an idea. Uh, obviously, we picked up a few of them today. We're going to have to have Amrutha on the show here uh, in the next couple of months. Uh, let us know. Send us a text. Send us an email. And we will likely turn it into a podcast uh, within a couple of months. Yeah, and probably ask you to, to host it or, or to be a guest on it. Not right, yeah, it. yeah, especially if, you're, if you know something about the question. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next time. Bye.